Hello everyone. The development of the diabetes mellitus treatment insulin by Frederick Banting, Charles Best, John McLeod and James Collip in 1921 is regarded by many as one of the greatest biological discoveries of our time. Now in this podcast I'd like to put forward the argument as to why and give you some background into the discovery. Before I begin, I'd like to thank one of my previous biology students, Christy Roberts, for the content and research uh, for this podcast. Now, type 1 diabetes mellitus is an autoimmune condition where the cells of the pancreas failed completely to produce insulin. Insulin is basically just a chemical messenger, a hormone, and it's coded for by a gene at the top of the 11th chromosome. And it allows the body to absorb any glucose rather, from the blood. Now, it's estimated that there are around 415 million people living with diabetes, type 1 and type 2, that's both of the two types, in the world. It's a staggering number. Now, this number is only expected to increase. And without this breakthrough discovery, many of these diabetics just would not survive. That's a fact. They just wouldn't. Before insulin... Type 1 diabetics lived on low carbohydrate, quite low calorie diets. If their diabetes didn't kill them, starvation or malnutrition from those extreme diets certainly would. The production of insulin, therefore, has not only saved lives, but it's also dramatically improved the quality of life for millions of people. So, Canadian doctor Frederick Banting, he decided to investigate the link between type 1 diabetes and secretions from the pancreas in the summer of, I think it was 1920. Now, the discovery of a link between the pancreas and diabetes is thought to have been discovered as early as actually 1889. And the presence of two types of differing cells in the pancreas had been discovered by Paul Langerhans 20 years prior to Banting's testing. But it was not yet fully known which cells in the pancreas caused the disease. The numerous small raspberry-like clusters, if you like, of exocrine cells, known as exceni, that make up about 99% of pancreatic tissue. Was it them? Or was it the bundles of endocrine cells from the islets of Langerhans, comprising the remaining 1% of the organ? So that's what we needed to find out. So Banting approached uh, a scientist called John McLeod. He was an expert in carbohydrate metabolism and hyper, as in too much, hyperglycemia. That's when there's too much blood sugar. He was based in Toronto, who, who, despite initial concerns with Banting's knowledge of the condition and his initial ideas to investigate further, uh, proceeded to help him. He granted him some lab space, a number of lab dogs, and two months to carry out the work. Now, after enlisting the help of medical student Charles Best, they began in the summer of 1921 by ligating the pancreatic ducts of the dogs that he had. Now, this only served to atrophy the exceni cells that produced the actual digestive secretions that enter the small intestine. However, they found that removing the whole pancreas caused diabetes to be triggered in the dogs. Now, after removing the whole pancreas of one of the dogs, The following is reported to have occurred. And I'll take this as a quote. Its blood sugar rose. It became thirsty, drank lots of water and urinated more often. It became weaker and weaker. The dog had developed diabetes. Now this led to the understanding, or understanding rather, that the beta cells within the islets of Langerhans 
must be responsible for producing insulin. It's now known that T-cell-mediated immune responses are responsible for the destruction of these cells in sufferers of the disease. And I talk about autoimmune conditions in a number of uh, other podcasts on this particular podcast channel. Now, in order to counteract the condition, which they'd stimulated in the dog, they, and it sounds quite graphic, they sliced up the frozen pancreas of the dog, ground it up, and dissolved the mixture in saline. The, and it was quoted as being thick brown muck, like this thick brown muck that was produced, as it was described at the time, was injected into the dog and resulted in significant decreases in hyperglycemia, or high blood sugar and glycosuria, so sugars in the urine in the animal. Now, without that extract, the diabetics jog, or diabetic dogs rather, generally lived for about 12 to 14 days. However, when injected subcutaneously with the ground-up pancreas, there was a marked improvement, and the animal survived significantly longer. One dog lived for about 70 days after the pancre- pancreatectomy. Yeah, that's how you say it, pancreatectomy, or removal of the pancreas, and only died when there was no more, no more extract left. That was the only reason why it had uh, died. Now, the extract was injected, or that was injected rather, was named islatin, or islatin, depends how, how you pronounce it, after the pancreatic islet cells that produce the hormone in healthy individuals. To increase the dog's quantity of islatin, Banting and Best could produce ultimately, they began to use cattle pancreases rather than dogs, and eventually enough extract was made to keep several diabetic dogs alive. The progression to human trials then became imperative. And this is where James Collip comes into the story. So James Collip is a biochemist from the University of Toronto. He joined the team to uh, attempt to purify the islatin further. So the ground pancreas was precipitated in about 95% uh, concentrated alcohol rather than saline and then it was filtered to get the final desired product and they renamed the final product insulin now the insulin was first tested on banting and best themselves they reported no adverse effects other than a bit of just a bit of dizziness and weakness the symptoms of hypoglycemia proving that the insulin must be effective at lowering blood glucose levels the first patient they tried their insulin on was a 14-year-old diabetic called Leonard Thompson, who was on the brink of death prior to treatment. Now, after the insulin was administered, he rapidly improved, regaining both his appetite and strength rapidly. The drug, as you can imagine, was then offered to other diabetics, who all showed the same positive reaction. The patient lost, if you like, that irritating thirst and dryness of the mouth and throat that they had, And they didn't desire large amounts of fluid, which they had previously tried to combat the symptoms. It was on the 3rd of May in 1922, less than two years after starting their research, that the group presented their discovery to the Association of American Physicians. And by 1923, so a year later, enough insulin was being produced by medical firm Eli Lilly to treat all the diabetics in North America with over two tonnes of pancreases from surrounding pork farms delivered to the company daily. Diabetics' lives had truly been transformed. Patients were waking up from comas able to lead relatively normal lives. 
Banting emphasised in a Nobel uh, lecture in 1925 that insulin is not a cure for diabetes, it's a treatment. It enables the diabetic to burn sufficient carbohydrates so that proteins and fats may be added to the diet in sufficient quantities to provide energy for the economic burdens of life. That's how he described it. Now, the switch from bovine pancreases to porcine pancreas came when it was found that porcine insulin had only one amino acid different from the 51 present in human insulin, while bovine insulin, so from cows, had three differences. Now, although that insulin had worked uh, for the meantime, the immune system of the diabetic would eventually recognise the substance as foreign and effectiveness would actually decline. Now, further, more importantly, it was actually both an incredibly expensive and a bit of an unproductive process. Two two tonnes, rather, of porcine pancreas produced about only eight ounces of pure, actual pure insulin. Years on, and if we look at where we're at today, biosynthetic recombinant insulins can be produced using what are called R-plasmids, opened with uh, enzymes called restriction endonucleases. So this is a bit more, a bit of a technical genetic engineering uh, process that I'm talking about here. The isolated gene for insulin now in a human is inserted into the open plasmid, if you like, acting as a vector. And that's then taken up by a safe form of bacteria such as E. coli. The bacteria that have taken up the gene for insulin production are then identified by either antibiotic resistance, fluorescent or enzyme markers, and then they get incubated in an industrial size fermenter. That insulin that's produced is harvested, and then that gets distributed. Following this, the production of what we call analog insulins, including ultra-rapid and ultra-long-acting insulins, began. With the addition of compounds such as zinc oxide to change the rate of absorption by the body. So once we had basically perfected this technique of getting bacteria, microorganisms, to produce insulin for us, we then refined that technique. Now, neither of these two developments would have been possible without the outstanding research carried out years before. Not only was it an influential discovery, it's also one of the fastest from conception to realisation, taking only three years for it to be available commercially. McLaren and Banting shared, and rightly so, the 1923 Nobel Prize for Physiology, and they actually split uh, some of the cash prize with Collip and Best, uh, respectively. Throughout their investigations, there had been disagreements over whom had carried out the most research, as, as you can imagine, and who was most responsible for the discovery out of the four. But despite their personal grievances, their professional gain, it really has to be said, has saved the lives of hundreds and millions of type 1 diabetics. As, and I'd like to close with this. Thank you all for listening to this particular podcast. As Stephen Hume stated in his biography of Banting, no single event in the history of medicine has changed the lives of so many people so suddenly. Thank you all.